This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Aloha traders. Thank you so much for watching my podcast. I would love to have you sign up for my trader check-in. This is it right here. This trader check-in is really going to help you understand where you're at emotionally, psychologically before your trading day begins. Go to TraderCheckIn.com and sign up for it for free. It's a great way to just do a litmus test on how neutral you are before the day begins. Additionally, if you like this podcast, please subscribe, please give us a like, and hit that bell if you want to be notified when our new podcasts drop. Now enjoy this amazing interview with Victoria Lures. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. My name is Kim Ann Curtin, and today I am just so honored to have Victoria Lures with me. She is the author of my current new favorite book, Church of the Wild. This book has just absolutely given me just so much uh, encouragement to get back out there into nature. Even though I live in Hawaii, I can also sometimes work too much. And her book has just been kind of this North Star for me to just keep practicing why I moved to Hawaii in the first place. Victoria, welcome to my podcast. Uh, thank you, Kim. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Victoria, I'm going to read a little bit of her bio now. She is a wild church pastor, an eco-spiritual <laughs> director, author, co-founder of several transformational focused organizations focused around the integration of nature and spirituality. My listeners know I talk frequently about spirituality. I talk about the importance of spiritual intelligence, and that is what I feel this episode is going to really give to all our listeners. After 20 years as a pastor of indoor churches, Victoria launched the first Church of the Wild in California and then co-founded the Ecumenical Wild Church Network, an affiliation of congregations across North America that meet exclusively outdoors. She's also the co-founder and director of the Seminary of the Wild, which focuses on a deep dive year-long eco-ministry certification program. And her book's subtitle, I think is so important, so let me not, not speak to that, how nature invites us into the sacred. So thank you, Victoria, for coming. I'm excited to be here. How fun. I do Minnie's podcast, but I think this is the first time I've been able to address this issue of the demands on our time to fulfill our calling within our vocations and also stay in deep connection and relationship with our own hearts with our and with our place, and that that relationship is sacred. So I'm excited to with you, with this particular audience, to engage in these questions. I'm so glad. I feel because of the challenges traders have, 
the especially the requirement of how much screen time they have to consistently yeah. invest in to be prepared to be competent at what they have to do i can often hear there's a lack of exposure to nature and there are traders who are very in tune to the importance of nature and they definitely seem to me to be outliers among a lot of traders so what i think i just want to start to speak to is if somebody hasn't perhaps had this intimate connection with nature yet i have i've had many intimate moments in nature that reminds me to go back to it you speak in the book about those intimate moments of connection while you were in nature but for somebody who's like really is that possible what well, what would you say to enroll them at considering that as a place to find an experience that perhaps you can't talk about unless you live it ah that's so true but it's kind of like everything <laughs> but you know we are nature you know so even the word nature sort of has a separation built into it we're just a species among many species on this planet who has a lot of power to dominate and control in a way that other species don't but we are created like we are just beings in relationship with all the others the rain the moon the you know the grasshoppers the food that's grown the air and we've created a way to separate ourselves we've created a way to see ourselves as separate and to live as if we're separate even though we sort of know in the back of our minds like yeah our food needs to be grown and we need the sun to make the food grow and i don't like it when it's cold you know we have this sense of oh yeah sure we're connected but to really lean into that is something that all of us are <laughs> all of us have that capacity and all of us probably if we sat back and remembered when we were little that we had experiences of deep connection and that at some point in our life we shifted our focus from that connection with the rest of the, the natural world in particular to you know our own agendas yeah. one of the first questions that i ask groups when i work with them either online or in person is tell me about the land who raised you mm -hmm. no and it's a question that few of us have ever been asked before. And yet, if you just take a second, go, oh, wow, you know, my parents, my grandparents raised me, but also there was that tree that I always retreated to down, down the street, or it was the prairie that I'd hide in the grass. And people generally have an answer to that if they think about it for a moment and remember there's something in our bodies that say, oh, right, that is part of who I am. Yeah. Yeah, and even as a city girl, I was born in Brooklyn. I have distinct memories of the blanket that my mother used to put down in the park and we would sit mm. and you know, she would play the guitar and that kind of thing. And even the streets of Brooklyn, my grandmother lived around the corner from me. There were certain, you know, I could walk around the corner. I wasn't allowed to cross the street as a 5-year-old. but that was the land the landscape was all the neighbors knew each other all the mm -hmm. you know delis would be like oh this is mary's daughter like <laughs> even in a city there's a land so to speak or a park right or 
Yeah. Or the rain or the crows or the grasshoppers or the moon or the stars or the wind. Absolutely. You know, like, or or even the concrete. I mean, yeah. All things are, you know, belong here. (laughs) And yes, some are are been, are, have been distorted and are now not helpful for the other species. (laughs) And some are. And so that's the difference versus human and everybody else. Yeah. That's a false dichotomy that is actually damaging. I mean, we can kind of see the damage in on our planet with the reality of biodiversity loss, bioregion loss, habitat loss, yeah. climate change. All of these things are becoming more and more obvious. What's less obvious is the impact that separation has on our own souls. Yeah. On our own spirituality, on our own sort of aliveness. Yep. And it's as significant as what's happening externally, what's happening internally. And a lot of that is, you know, it's what gives us permission to overwork (laughs) because we feel that disconnection. It's what is underneath, I think, a lot of the loneliness that we feel. Yes. um, That all of us feel just in our culture because of, you know, I'm grateful for the deep connection that we're able to continue to have because of our digital connectivity. Right. You know, there's something I'm on authentically grateful for. Yeah. We, the pandemic would have been impossible, at least very difficult without it. All of my work is done on Zoom online. Even, even though we're talking about being out in nature, we are connecting globally through these technology, you know, gifts that are part of the evolving reality of life. Yeah. And there is something that we're losing by being actually disconnected from those that are different from us, both more other humans, but especially other species, and in particular other species, I guess, that we are just disconnected from now. There, and I'm, that word... Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that word disconnection, I think, is important because it helped me to think differently about what religion is. You know, the religion is not this separate thing that some people go to temple or to church on Sunday or whatever, temple on Saturday. It means like the etymology of the word, which I'm always a geek about, <laughs> means uh, religios is the Latin word, re again. And legios is like a ligament, you know, it's like a connector. And so it's reconnection. And so it's really, there's something about humans that need ritual and ceremony and reminders to reconnect because there's something about us that disconnects and so instead of like even demonizing the disconnection and like just beating yourself up i never get out anymore just going oh that's part of the rhythm you know the rhythm you know i might say of exile and return the rhythm of disconnection and then going i'm feeling too disconnected i need to reconnect it's a rhythm it's a coming back together. Anyone who's ever been married knows this rhythm is necessary of the disconnection and the reconnection. Yeah. And it's part of being human. It's religion has been in that sense of religios, of reconnection, is part of humanity. We see it in ancient, you know, cave cave drawings, this sense of the reconnection with and how we define what the divine is, what the sacred is. That that has a, you know, nobody knows what it is. <laughs> we all have approximate experiences and we use good enough words. And that's less important than the actual experience of knowing that we are deeply interconnected 
And that interconnection itself, my book goes into, I think, is the presence of the holy. And so it's not just that nature is holy. We need to be in nature so that we can be connected to holy. It's that the connection itself is the presence of the sacred. And so just being connected with the rain, with the spider that's in your (laughs) bathroom, you know, like whatever that is in a I thou kind of relationship. Yes. And to really tap into that and to create space for that. And that can be small spaces, you know, and then the yearning gets to have more and more of that space of, you know, some people call it meditation. Some people call it worship. Some people call it silence, care, how we, what we call it, but we're talking about the same thing is a moments of knowing that we are interconnected with a whole that is way larger than our own, uh, what we normally can see. And that perspective and that way of connecting with something larger than us is not only a good idea because it's a good idea, it actually gives us more capacity to love. Mm. It gives us more capacity to be present in what we love and who we love and how we go about our lives. Yep. That we love. And I would say it, it actually engenders big picture thinking and mm-hmm. allows us to be more creative. You know, our, yeah. our audience are traders who need to see the big picture and also see the small details. But that, I think, if you begin to really experience big picture experiences or larger than you experiences Mm -hmm. that helps you, I think, integrate what they have to look at, which is a global marketplace. That's a big picture. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's part of that, you know, it's like leaving the village and coming back to the village is where the way our ancestors might've talked about it, but it's like seeing the big picture. You can't stay at the big picture all the time. You can't stay in those those holy moments even all the time no. you come back you see the big picture then then that gives you energy to go back into the small picture and the small picture i call it one of my chapters is called the courtship of the particular you know it's like we we don't just say oh i love children i love the earth right you can say that but really it's about falling in love and you fall in love with a particular child you fall in love with a particular human other adult human you fall in love with a particular place or a particular being. And as you fall in love with any, then you expand your capacity to see, know, love, interact with the whole and back again. You know, as you, as you engage on that big picture, then you have greater energy and creativity and perspective to be able to go back into the, the particular where you have been called yeah. to be in service to, you know, not just your own wealth or your own well-being, but it's connected with the collective in some ways. You know, maybe it's maybe it's more direct in some areas of your life than others. But to lose that perspective of the interconnectivity is a spiral into that sense of loneliness and disconnection and not belonging. Like it's essential. It's not just a cool little spiritual journey. It's something that's just part of being alive. For sure. I think part of what is so inspiring about these churches of the wild that you're facilitating is 
there are so many people who I think religion and the formalities that you even speak to, that you bumped into along the way, have disconnected people from a spiritual community, disconnected them from having a place of worship. And I'm of the opinion that if more people knew that they could experience you know, church, so to speak, in the wild, it would be packed houses everywhere. <laughs> but right. I just don't think <laughs> know that this even happened. Yeah. Talk a little bit about just even that so the, the listeners have a context of like, wait a minute, you're saying church in the woods, at the beach? Like, <laughs> just talk a little bit about that and what it looks like. Mm, yeah, I mean, I could talk all day about that, but <laughs> I can... You know, it's like, I think our institutional religions often are the opposite of reconnection. They're all about disconnection. It's disligion, really, <laughs> unligion. So, um, because it's like, it turns into this us versus them. My way's right, your way's wrong. And, and it, you know, we are humans, we tend to do this. When it's really about the very opposite of that. And so there's something about immersing ourselves in a community with other people, with intentionality of like, you know what? I mean, I hear all the time people say, well, religion, you know, uh, nature is my religion, the forest, the beach, the ocean, that's my, that's my church. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. Let's just name it for what it is. Let's just do it. And, but there's something about going and anyone can do this. We've all maybe experienced moments of just like a beautiful sunrise or a moment where, uh, you know, like I talk about in the book, a moment where a deer looks at you eye to eye. These are like these little sacred glimpses. And been, you know, where you are, this is so unbelievably beautiful. You can't help but being overwhelmed with that sense of awe of like, this is just so beautiful. It pulls you out of yes. your, like I went through a divorce when I was living in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is so stunningly beautiful. I remember driving around going, God dang it, I can't stay in my depressed state because it's too beautiful. <laughs> so, <laughs> but there's something about opening up, like we were talking before, to that sense of awe, that sense of this is a bigger story than I am controlling. Nice. And to, to experience, to just call that church, just call it, name it for what it is, yes. name that as reconnection, religios, religion, yeah. and practice it with an intentionality is actually pretty phenomenal. You know, the first time I decided I'm just going to do this, I just gathered some people I left. Uh, I was, I was, I was within the church at that point, although earlier in my career, I worked within corporate in the corporate world. But I left, I left working on in the church within the institution and People just gathered with me outside of the, you know, off of a hiking trail, basically. And uh, I didn't explain anything. I just said, all right, everybody go out of the circle and wander until you feel drawn to something. <laughs> and then just trust that and sit down and listen. And then come back after 20 minutes and we'll, we'll just share what we thought of. And everyone was like, what are you kidding me? I'm going to go talk to a rock for 20 minutes. And I'm like, yes. That's what just <laughs> and everybody came back going, oh my gosh, I need more time. Wow. 
I've never done this. I need more time. And, you know, these are people and even people who are, you know, who do a lot of running or, or a lot of things outdoors. This is different. This is like slowing it down, slowing it down in a contained space. So like in a, in a, when I say holding the space or a container, yes. um, I'm talking, it, you know, that the, there's somebody, that's what these leaders do is like hold that space. They say there's an, a particular invitation to go out and wander and, you know, maybe, maybe you're focusing on grief or overwork or, you know, whatever it is. And you're allowing yourself to be drawn to something that's speaking to you about that. And you can't explain that. You just sort of feel it. And you trust your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> And then as you settle down and you know that space is held, so you know, like those to-do lists that always come and attack you, <laughs> the to-do list kind of quiet when you know, I've got 45 minutes here. Nothing is expected of me, except that when I come back in 45 minutes, I'm going to share what comes up for me. Yeah. And there's something about that that allows people to really and be receptive and to listen and to experience you know at the very least uh, a moment of silence yeah for sure and then people come back together into a circle and share their experience it's really phenomenal like without a bunch of there's there's zero dogma <laughs> there's zero rules really other the only rule i always say is don't second guess yourself just yeah. go with it yeah um and people come back with just profound insights and poetry and <laughs> you know, like experiences that become transformational. And it's such a simple practice. Like literally you could go out and do that, what I just said. But there's a movement happening. You know, when I first started it, it was like, all right, I'm sort of making this up. And then I started meeting others who felt exactly the same and thought, I'm making this up. I'm the only one doing this. I guess I'm a heretic, but whatever. <laughs> and we kept meeting each other going, wait, you're doing the same thing? You're doing the same thing. And then we knew there was something bigger going on. There was some bigger story that we were tapping into. And it's continuing to grow. You know, the um, the little Wild Church network that we started now has several thousand people that are starting Wild Churches all over North America and, other, and in other countries. Yeah. The, the African, you know, pastors who write to us are, we always meet outside. We're exactly. doing this. <laughs> And it's more than meeting outside. It's not, you know, some yes. are trying to do what they did inside churches and just do it outside. It's like, that's yeah. mm, okay. It's a step. Yeah. Yep. But really what this is, is going, this is not church in the wild, just it's church of the wild. It's like, we are in sacred relationship with these other beings that we, that we normally just ignore yeah. or like this recreational thing we can tap into occasionally, but to really slow down and approach with a sense of reverence yes shifts not only our own hearts but shifts our focus gives us energy to live the lives that we've been called to live yeah. you know yeah. you, with you, that balance that you're talking about you quote ursula Le Guin. there's a beautiful quote of hers where you said she spoke to listening isn't a reaction it's a connection and that's what it sounds like your kind of mandate is when people come together, you're asking them to go out into the space that they're in to truly listen as though it is connection, not mm -hmm. I'm going to react. 
Right. Yeah. And we know that we can, we've experienced it, you know? So I think like you asked in the beginning, like, what if we're, what if we just don't do this, you know, but there's something in who we are as species of aliveness on this planet (laughs) that we do know it. We just need to remember it. So I kind of call all of this is this is nothing new. Yeah. You know, there's nothing breakthrough about this. What it is, is it's a remembering. Yeah. It really is a, a remembering ourselves back into the interconnected whole. To those who maybe are listening to us who perhaps, you know, are kind of just curious about it enough to wonder, well, what would the benefits to me be if I began to spend more time intentionally in nature? What would you say those benefits likely they could expect to be? Well, there are studies, there are actual studies that show that, it, uh, you know, as far as releasing tension, lowering your blood pressure, <laughs> resting, learning to rest, finding balance. I think, though, that the biggest, one of the biggest benefits is just being holy who you are. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes in our culture and particularly in the kind of work that day traders have committed to the uh, not just the temptation but the um, reality of there's always more work leads to overwork you know it leads to an imbalance that we feel even when we're in the midst of the overwork we have the energy for it you know even though I'm not in that kind of financial stress world and I fully committed to this this work I still overwork. I still struggle with it. I mean, it's it's embedded in our in our cells from generations of, you know, institutionalized capitalism. You know, like it's just is yep. part of our culture. And so, but I'm always a little uncomfortable, even and sometimes a lot uncomfortable with like this. I'm not living out what I want my life to be, yeah. and I'm not fully who I want to be. And irrational, you know, it's like we know who we are by our relationships by what's mirrored back to us. Yep. And what if we're disconnected with relationships beyond other humans, there's part of being human that we just don't connect with. And so there's some core foundational part of being human that we as a species really need to reconnect with. And it's almost like we don't know the benefits because we've been so disconnected. Yeah. But there's some deep benefits that are that are really being asked of us at this moment in history where there's so much unraveling ecologically culturally yeah in governmentally socially like we can just go on to just about every level of of our citizenship of this planet is we can see we can feel the unraveling and something is being required of us we are a generation that is alive at this time Mm-hmm. You know, whether you think it's on purpose and we chose it or some other entity chose it or it just is what it is. Like yeah. we are alive now yeah. and there's something that's going to be called of us in our lifetimes that's different than what we've been for the last couple hundred years. What, and yeah, what yeah, one of the ahead. stories I just wanted to share with you is one of the gentlemen I got to interview for my book. His name is Robert Monks. And he was, he lives in Maine and he was seeing pollution on the Penobscot River. And he was so frustrated by it. And he was 
because of his stature in the community, you know, he was talking to people, trying to get the clarity. And then one day across his desk came, you know, paperwork for one of, he was, he was on the board of a paper company that in the end was the contributing polluter to that Penobscot River. And in that moment, he realized, oh my God, I am polluting the Penobscot mm-hmm. River because I'm yeah. part of this collective that hasn't been putting in appropriate, you know, requirements or demands about how they treat the environment. And so he uh, became a shareholder activist. That's, you know, something that he began to mm-hmm. speak to how each shareholder has the power. They just don't even realize they have it. But it, it's a beautiful story because he doesn't make himself wrong per se, but he kind of was shocked that he was so mm-hmm. upset about it for so long. And yet he was invisible to himself as right. contributing to that. It just feels like such a beautiful story of what you're talking about is that we are really all connected mm-hmm. in ways that maybe we're not even present to. And right. if we, you know, the more we pay attention, you know, then he was able to do something about it. He was able to get right. a paper company to stop because he used his voice as a board mm-hmm. member um, and a shareholder. So yeah, it was just, I thought, just a beautiful story. I was thinking of that story. The other story that I'm in love with, and I'm curious if you know, that's that Ray Anderson who worked at mm-hmm. Interface, right? And how yeah. he read uh, the Ecology of Commerce had a spear in the chest moment, you know, so there's these connections that happen with people all over, I think, even just even smaller ways than perhaps those stories that can change, it can have a ripple effect. So yep. maybe I just am saying to everybody, don't underestimate the power of you just perhaps taking a little walk in the forest, right. what that might unfold for you. I agree. And it's it's not interconnection or this experience of connection just for the interesting fun of it. It's or, you know, it's reality. <laughs> you know, it's like these challenges that we are facing that are gonna affect every single thing that we're day trading around. Yes. Requires people like the stories you just said, people like all of us. Yeah. You know, we are all complicit in all of this. Yeah. Even if, you know. The forerunners of the environmental movements are just as complicit as any, you know, Wall Street mogul that doesn't think about it at all. We're all complicit. And so that's not something to just beat ourselves up about. You know, it is a bit of a moment of a heart, you know, like a punch gut, you know, kind of moment of like, oh, my God. And I think that's an important, it's like the truth and reconciliation of it. You know, you can't really engage into the reconciliation work without facing the truth work. Sure. But that's not an excuse to sort of shame yourself into inaction. It's a way of going, okay, it's not like I need to quit my day day trader job. Right. And now I'm going to become a full-time environmental activist. It's saying we're all called, (laughs) no matter what we do, if we're a barber, a day trader, or a, you know, somebody who, who runs a large environmental activist group, like it, all of us, are being called by earth herself, at least, and by spirit and by our own souls, if we listen, (laughs) 
to be part of, you know, this collective continuation of life. It really is that serious. And if we can make that connection between the way we're living now that we just assume is the only way and how that's going to impact like the people we love, you know, the the faces we love. And so that's why to me, it's, it's about love. That's like, if we can connect this with our grandchildren, if we can connect this with our, the little trees in our backyard, yes, that is, that gives us the energy to actually do whatever is needed. And all, there's so many things that are needed. It's not, it's all of it. Yeah. There's a story you speak to in the book. I'm looking for it now. This was in reference to a place in Scotland and this Mm -hmm. particular area was called by the residents themselves, a nothing place, an unproductive wilderness. And you speak, you spoke about how there was a company that was going to come in and disrupt this, you know, kind of bio system that was there in the moorlands. And so these residents wanted to restore, you said, intimacy with their land through specific storytelling. So just talk a little bit about the power of that, what happened there, and then the power Mm -hmm. of that rebuilding that intimacy with our neighborhood. Well, and this this was happening in a lot of the Hebrides Islands in Northern Scotland where, and it happens all over, (laughs) all over the world where, you know, the bioregion is is further impacted by some industrial decision. And all of the other communities in that area had tried resisting in the normal ways of petitions and showing up at city council and saying and resisting. And all of the other communities didn't go anywhere. The energy company came in and it did did impact their land. And but this one community on in the Isle of Lewis tried something different. They instead said, these normal ways are not working. What we need is for people to fall in love again with this place, to call it a nothing land, to not have connection with it is the core problem here. And so the core solution here is to reconnect with place as part of our belonging, as part of our sense of self. And so they, for people, I think that encourage the whole community to go out, remember stories, tell new stories, write new poems about particular places. Yeah. You know, this tree where my grandmother grew up, this, you know, this river that goes through the back of my house. And they did that for a couple of years. And then in that process, that intimacy with place happened. And by then something had shifted within them. It's like, wait, this is our place. Right. We're not just, this is not just like a thing you do. Oh, I don't have time to go to the city council or, yeah, I already signed this. Right. It's like, wait, this is my life and then people showed up in a different energy and they won and so they and they weren't just resisting it was an energy company putting in um, wind turbines so it's not like just resisting wind turbines or any development it was like corporate you know so it's like that's just taking more it's more extraction and so since then which is interesting i've researched since then they have um you know purchased their own wind turbines and they're as you know, creating self-sufficiency within them within the community. And the whole community, in fact, has become uh, they have very different land issues there where the landowners are British non-nationals, yeah. and then everybody else is sort of a leasee. 
and they have taken back their land. They've taken back their land in a public trust where they, the community now owns their own land, creates their own energy. I mean, it's like this amazing story of the kind of transformation that all of us need to be looking to, you know, in our own ways. And it's not replicating it per se, but it's going, oh, wow, there's something here about this moment in history for all of us to be looking at. Would you share the story of your encounter with the deer? <laughs> really? We want to hear the story. It's I do. Very... I mean, the stories really <laughs> connect us to what you had and perhaps encourages everyone to have theirs. Mm. It, as little or as much. It's, it's a winding story throughout the book, but yeah. it's a beautiful story. And it's a simple experience, but mm-hmm. yet so profound. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the challenge of it. Like, I think a lot of people have these profound encounters, but they're so simple. And they're almost like, how do I even talk about this? You know, so we just sort of treasure them in our heart. and So that was cool, and move on. But I think the more we sort of stumble through, like I'm about to (laughs) talking about them, the more we're helping to change the public narrative around our, our disconnection. So essentially, I I had an experience in the the lower Rocky Mountains in Colorado where I was uh, wandering, you know, in one of those experiences, just wandering. I didn't have an agenda really. And gosh, how to tell this quickly. So I basically had an experience where I, I saw a deer cross the trail and I decided to follow her and scrambled up this, this little embankment and Figured by the time I scrambled up there, she'd be gone. But instead, she was like standing there, like 15 feet away from me, just look, just waiting to look at me. And anybody who's encountered a deer, you know, those like intense moments of like staring at each other. They're trying to check out, are you going to kill me? And we are, um, you know, we are hoping that we have the honor of being, you know, just having that, having that moment. And so that's what happened. I, we just kind of like had this staring, like I was sort of surprised. She looked at me very quickly. She discerned I was not a threat. She kind of twitched her ears and started looking around, nibbling on leaves. And and it started raining. I pulled a little closer to her just to get under the tree. She didn't, she didn't move. Eventually, after about, I mean, it was maybe 10, 15 minutes, she all of a sudden looking straight at me buckled her front legs and then her back legs and laid down. I was like, wait, what? And yeah, it was just this profound connection. And I stayed there for about, I don't know, another half an hour or so. And eventually it was starting to get dark and um, she was laying down for the night. And, you know, eventually I was like, well, I got to go, but thank you. And and walked away and I could feel within me. Um, I don't know if anybody's had one of these sort of God moments or whatever. I can feel this, this inside me just say, you know, I'm with you always. This sense. It's like, wait, that's, that's like a God sentence, but it felt like it was coming from a deer. And so it's like this confusing, interesting <laughs> encounter. And I, I, I wasn't sure what to make of it other than this cool thing that this deer trusted me. Yeah just so that I didn't think it was like just this off moment and forgot about it. The same exact thing happened the next day with a different deer. And it happened again the third day that I was there. 
um, the third time it happened, uh, it was all morning. I was kind of concerned with some other things. I went, oh, wow, I haven't seen any deer today. And right, I look up and I see this deer in the in the distance and sort of like brambly bushes. And I'm like staring at each other. I'm getting a little dizzy. <laughs> We're just staring. She stared at me so intensely. And finally, I realized, wow, I think I'm supposed to be the one to lay down. And I was like, well, all right, this is weird. So I go, okay, I'm going to lay down, lay down. Now I can't see her at all going, all right, this is an interesting thing I'm doing here. And as I'm laying there, I mean, maybe five minutes later, she comes up to me and comes right at the edge of the little bushes that I was near and looks down at me. And like, I stopped breathing. It was just like, whoa, there's something else going on here. There's something more than this interesting, like, whoa, there's a deer that, I, that I'm not going to begin to try to explain. But I think you can just, people feel it when they can feel it. And, sure. you know, I stopped breathing, just, just like, oh my God, there's something here. And then, you know, she stared at me, took a, twitched her ears again, took a few bites, went out to the meadow and I followed her out to the meadow and she did the same thing. She laid down. I'm maybe, I'm so bad at distance, but not that far from her. And I sit down, it starts raining, you know, we sit there in the meadow together. I mean, it was like an hour. And to the point where I didn't even know deer could do this. (laughs) Like she's laying down all four legs, just like stretched out, completely relaxed. Um, And we are just like two beings in a meadow together. It was astonishing. And, uh, you know, as I finally, when it starts getting dark again, I head back to the, to the cabin where I was staying and practically ran into a moose you know which I thought which would have been the story in and of itself but it was like the other the deer were so this was something so sacred that even running into a deer I felt like it was a dream by the (laughs) um and then within and then I started pursuing like oh I tell some people about it and they're like oh you're like the deer whisperer I'm like yeah and for five years like every time I tried to pursue deer like they'd run from me and everybody else would encounter deer that I was with, you know. Wow. And after, and you know, and I, I tried to like, what does this mean? And yeah. even talked to some, some indigenous people that I had met at a conference yes. who were from the deer clan. Like, this happened to me. Like, what is it? Right. And they're like, I don't know. That's some great medicine. I'm like, okay, yeah, but what does it mean? <laughs> and then I moved from Southern California to Northern Washington. And I'd sort of forgotten about this pursuit and this longing. But I moved into this house and the day I, and we, you know, I had friends help me move in and then they left and then I'm like, oh man, I got to, it's dark now. I got to go out and return the moving truck, grab the keys, run out the front door and almost trip on a deer that's laying down at the end of my stairs. Uh, which began a three-year relationship with particular deer mama and her babies and then the next year, her babies, and then their babies, and then their babies. So this whole extended family, I, you know, the, the dear mamas would bring their babies for me to, I would say, fawn sit. Wow. <laughs> and I, I was writing this book during that time. And, you know, so my desk was right, had windows on both sides next to the desk. And the mamas would bring their babies. The babies would lay down right outside of my window while the mamas went and grazed and whatever. And they'd come back. I mean, it was just this remarkable relationship and people would still ask me like, well, what do you think that means? What's that? Is that you're like your animal totem or something? And it's like, 
Like, I don't know, you know, what is it, what is it, what does my daughter mean? You know, what, what does that relationship mean? Like, we don't pursue these relationships for what we get out of them, either the beauty or the experience, you know, that that's, you know, you're then objectifying the other again. Yep. It's relationship, you know, it's like, you don't walk up to somebody in a, in a coffee shop and just sit down and start talking to them and see what you're going to get from them. Like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and it's the same with with other parts of life you know that it's not just about you know what the experience means it's it's entering into relationship which is the core of life yeah yeah so for sure. for sure victoria thank you so much for sharing that story all the stories that you share in this absolutely beautiful book i invite mm. everybody who's listening if <laughs> are seeking connection with whatever that which is larger than you is please consider her book please consider what she spoke to today this concept of just intentional experience with nature and i promise you will be nourished in a way you didn't even know you were starving for so mm, beautiful way to say it thank, thank you. you so much what Thank a gift. So much. Hopefully we can stay in touch and I'll have you back on if you're if you're willing. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Many blessings to you. You mm. too. You too. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>